something to note, Der Ring des Nibelungen is a cycle of four of the most influential operas of the modern era. For this adaptation, we've streamlined the story and supplemented it with additional research into the Norse mythological influences of Richard Wagner. It may not be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you enjoy it. And be warned, today's episode contains depictions of violence, murder, abusive relationships, suicidal ideation, and some sexual content. Please exercise caution for listeners under 13. Wotan, Augenstern. What disaster you have wrought. I remember your face when you saw the ring work its power on Fafnir and Fasolt. You finally believed me. You finally decided to destroy the ring. But promises are not wrought in iron. And even a god's heart can change. You came to me here at the base of the world tree, seeking my knowledge, warming my bed, siring the Valkyrie, her shield maidens, and Brunhilde, brightest and wisest of all the stars, so much greater than any parent's dream. You meant it at the time. You did not lie to me, but you lied to yourself. In your heart of hearts, Votum, the ring had already grown deep roots. You think you found a solution, a hero, to retrieve your ring for you. Even now, the young wolf follows the footsteps of a father he does not know, scenting a power he does not understand. You fool yourself, Wotan. A puppet is still a puppet, even if it cannot see the strings. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we continue the Germanic Norse story of the Ring of Power, as told in Wagner's The Ring of the Nibelung. After the giant Fafna leaves Valhalla with the ring, Wotan is left with an impossible goal to retrieve it once more. Whether his intention is to return the ring to the Ryan Maidens or to wield it himself, even he cannot say. In the decades since, Wotan has been dreaming up a new scheme to get his hands on the ring. He's fathered a demigod son, ignorant of the weapon and its history, to act as its unwitting pawn. But what Wotan doesn't anticipate is the challenge that comes for every father when their children grow up and make their own choices. Coming up, a stranger arrives in Midgard.
Sieglinda, hear my voice. What? Who, who are you? Sieglinda had never seen a tree so large. It stretched so high she couldn't see its top, its many leaves blending with the star-dappled skies. High up in its branches, she thought she could see figures working, sleeping, alone or entwined with each other. But all of it paled before the white-robed woman in front of her. What do you want? Something about the woman scared Zieglinda. The way she moved, swiftly, gracefully, felt unnatural. She blinked, and the woman who had been feet from her now stood right before her, their noses nearly touching. Look, my child. Look into my eyes. The woman drew back her white hood, revealing icy blue eyes. Deep in their pupils, Zieglinda could see herself. Zieglinda flying through the clouds, Zieglinda hiding among boulders, Zieglinda running through a forest. She barely had time to take in the images before they faded and others took their place. A small hand that fit perfectly in hers, a dwarf old and gnarled with bitterness, a sword bearing raised silver scars where old pieces were forged into the new. Please stop, it hurts. Look closer and see what will be. A dragon, smoke curling from its nostrils. A golden-haired youth, Zieglinda's own green eyes flashing under his brow. Stop! Stop! The images faded away, and then she saw it. A ring, a circle of gold, runes red as hell, searing the very atmosphere. Zieglinda could feel its hatred, feel it burning her, consuming her. Zieglinda woke suddenly in her bed. The blankets, soaked with sweat, had twisted around her legs. It took her a moment to remember where she was. Hoonding's castle. What was she dreaming? Even now it was slipping away from her like a stone sinking to the bottom of a vast, dark sea. Right, the door. She glanced out the window to see the fading light of dusk as she rushed toward the courtyard. Hunding wasn't supposed to be back yet, not for hours. She cursed silently, chiding herself for falling asleep. She hadn't finished the washing. His nightshirt was still wet. There hadn't been time for the fire to dry it. And if it wasn't ready by the time he wanted to go to bed... She jumped again at the sound. She only hoped he'd be so drunk he'd fall asleep in his riding clothes. Zieglinda opened the door, bracing herself for her husband's hot breath or cruel, drunken laughter. But it wasn't hoonding at the door. Instead, a young man, blonde and bloody, stumbled forward. A tattered wolfskin was wrapped around his shoulders, caked in mud and muck. He croaked, Please, good lady, could you spare some water? Then he fell in a heap upon the floor. <sighs> Thank you. 
Some minutes later, the stranger awoke. Zieglinda was heating water over the fire. She'd left him resting, leaned up against the ancient tree that sprouted from the center of the courtyard. Where am I? Whose house is this? Friend or foe, show yourself! Do stop carrying on like that. You're hurt. He tried to sit up, but gasped with pain. The sound made Zieglinda's heart ache. But his question hung in the air, and she knew she'd better ask the same thing. She handed him a cup of cool water. He drank greedily. Where am I? Hunding's stronghold. And who are you? Hunding's wife. And do you have your own name, or does Hunding own that too? Zieglinda smiled before she thought better of it. She sat down beside the man, wiping the blood from his face with a damp rag. Zieglinda, stranger. And what are you called? Zygmunt. Such a coincidence. Zieg. It seems in naming us, our parents thought we'd have some penchant for victory. <laughs> some victory? Me trapped in this house? You bloody and stumbling? If you were victorious, back wherever you came from, I'd hate to see your opponent. He's dead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to... No, no, please. The truth is, I have much more connection with sorrow than with victory. It seems to follow me wherever I go. The truth is, Sieglinda, I'm on a quest. One that I don't fully understand. I'm tracking the footsteps of my father. We were separated long ago, but still, I follow his trail. I do not know what is at the end of it, or even if my father is still alive. But I do know whatever it is, it calls to me. From somewhere deep in the woods, not far from this castle. No matter how hard I try to be accepted by society on my journey, they reject me again and again. Something about my name, my presence, it, it brings out the worst violence in others. Today, it was a gentleman who tried to run me off the road. Tomorrow, well, who knows? Thank you for your kindness, Zieglinda, but it's better that I'm off. Zieglinda grabbed Zygmunt's hand. He looked at her, surprised at the touch. It felt just as unexpected to her. For a moment, something flashed in her mind's eye. A golden curl, a burning ring. She drew her hand back quickly. Don't be ridiculous. You can barely stand, much less wander through the woods. Please, stay. Before she could stop herself, Zieglinda reached out a hand to Zygmunt's cheek. Are you this friendly with every war-torn stranger who staggers through your door? <laughs> Only the handsome ones. And are you as kind to every lonely woman you find in the night? <laughs> Zieglinda, this might sound forward, but... Zieglinda, are you all right? Zieglinda had gone stiff, the color draining from her cheeks as the hoofbeats of a horse drew closer from outside. What's wrong? Zieglinda! 
Sieglinde ignored Siegmund, dropping her bloody rag and water in a panic. She rushed across the small courtyard to a cabinet where she quickly poured mead into a horn cup. She had just turned toward the door when it burst open. A dark-haired, hulking man in a bearskin riding cape stood in the doorway. Two beady, cruel eyes stared out from beneath a heavy brow. A scowl twisted his thin lips. He snapped at Zieglinda, who cowered by the cabinet. Hurry up with that meat, girl! Hoonding was home. Coming up, Siegmund picks a fight and the gods get involved. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from the Spotify original from Parcast, Cults. Next on our series, a four-part deep dive into the religious movement known as the Moonies. Sushi, mass weddings, political coups. Discover the many business ventures, beliefs, and scandals of this headline-making sect. This is one special you do not want to miss. You can also catch up on hundreds of classic episodes and new ones each week by following Cults free on Spotify. Find out what turns a natural-born leader into a vessel for wreaking havoc. Enjoy a new episode of Cults every Tuesday, free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Husband, you're back sooner than I expected. Zieglinda ran across the flagstones, delivering a flagon into Hunding's waiting palm. He'd barely taken a sip before he threw the cup down. Zieglinda jumped back to avoid the spray. Useless girl. I need cold ale after a long day of riding, not mead. I'm sorry, husband. You, you just told me you wanted mead. Liar! You're as stupid as you are useless, blaming me to cover up your own failings. Do you need me to fix your ears for you? Zieglinda backed away as Hunding advanced on her. From his position leaning against the tree, Siegmund cleared his throat. <coughs> <coughs> Hunding whirled around. Zieglinda was pleased to see some of the fire went out in him when he realized they had a guest. And who are you? One of the local layabouts wishing to flirt with my wife? Let me tell you, she's not worth it. Not worth the gold it costs to feed her. Lord Hunding, I'm no layabout. Just a traveler. Your wife was kind enough to offer me some water. Hmm, how generous of her. Well... You've had your water. Be on your way. My lord, uh, I'm so sorry to impose. Doesn't sound like you're sorry at all. But might I spend the night? It's a long way to my next stop, and I injured myself in the woods. I'd be so thankful for your hospitality. While Siegmund spoke to Hunding, Sieglinda hurried once more to the cabinet where she produced a cask of ale. She poured it into the horn and returned to Hunding's side, handing it to him. He guzzled the ale, not appearing to care as it sloshed out of the flagon and dribbled down his front. <sighs> Very well. One night. I'd better not see you in the morning. Hunding. 
Hoonding made his way to the door that led inside, hammering his chest and belching. He opened the door, then turned once more to Siegmund and Sieglinda. Girl! Make sure our guest is comfortable, and have the kitchen send food up to my chambers. I expect you in there shortly. We'll have a little talk about what is expected of you as lady of this house, and what the punishment is for forgetting your place. With that, he retreated into the hall, closing the door behind him. You're married to that beast? Please, he will hear. Zieglinda was on her hands and knees, sopping up the spilled mead with a rag. Zygmunt rose to his feet, wincing, and came to her side. He picked up the drinking horn from the floor next to her. Oh, Zieglinda, does he always treat you like this? It's better that there's someone else here. I'm so stupid. I could have sworn he asked for mead. It does not matter if he did or he didn't. You don't deserve this. I know. But what am I to do? He's my husband. Three long years I have lived in this house. I have no friend, no family to call my own. Only Hoonding. On my wedding night, I cried into my cup of wine. I knew then what manner of man Hoonding was. But where was I to turn? My family had been slaughtered in a raid. A band of thieves had happened upon me, used me to barter with the lord of these lands. I looked on the wedding feast with a heart of stone, every inch of my flesh twisting in revulsion at the man at my side. But then, something so strange happened. The doors opened and a traveler in a gray robe appeared. He was dressed plainly, a cap pulled down on his head, his long silver beard nearly reaching his waist. He said he had a wedding present for the bride and winked at me. It was then I realized he only had one eye. He held out a sword of fine steel and declared that it was enchanted, meant only for the man who could pull it from the oak tree in the courtyard. Then. He plunged it into the trunk. Just as quickly as he'd come, he disappeared. Every man at the wedding tried to wrest the sword from the tree. Even Hunding made an attempt, but the sword would not budge. I don't know how, but I knew for certain that there was an unspoken part to this enchantment. The old one-eyed man had given me my deliverance. Whoever was noble enough to pull the sword from the tree, that warrior would rescue me from Hoonding. For three years I have waited, and for three years the bark has grown thick around the sword. In my darkest moments I have even tried myself to pry it free. Lately, I've begun to doubt that the sword or I will ever be free. Siegmund stared at Sieglinda for a long time. She wasn't sure what to make of it. There was pity in his eyes, anger, but also excitement. Finally, he spoke. It seems our names are not the only things that unite us. I too am alone in this world. 
My earliest memories of coming home from a hunt with my father, Wolf. We smelled the smoke before we saw it. Our house was a smoldering ruin, with my mother and sister dead inside, their throats cut. Wolf was a proud and righteous man. He refused to submit to the Nightings, a powerful family who ruled our corner of the country. Jealous of his wealth, his fine castle, his loving family, they took it all and declared us outlaws. I spent my boyhood in the forest, hunting and trapping my meals, fleeing from bands of bounty hunters after my father. One day, the hunters cornered us, wolf and wolfling. They thought they had caught their prey, but they underestimated us. We fought like demons, cleaving through their lines of men until finally we could escape. The last time I saw my father was through the trees. He couldn't hear me over their battle cries, couldn't see I was running in the other direction. After our enemies left, I went back to look for him. All I could find was his coat of wolfskin, the reason people called him the wolf. It was lying torn and bloody in the autumn leaves. The wolf was gone. All the years since, I have spent searching for him, following whispers and rumors, and the thing in my own heart, which leads me to the woods here. I do not know if he is alive or dead. I only know I must learn the truth of his fate. Zieglinda placed a trembling hand on Zygmunt's shoulder. I'm so sorry, Zygmunt. The wolf skin you wear, is that all you have left of him? Almost all. There is one other thing he left me. A prophecy. Zygmunt rose to his feet and strode to the tree sprouting from the center of the courtyard. There, deep in a hollow, was the shining hilt of the sword. Wolf once told me that in my hour of need, he would provide for me. A weapon with steel bright as the morning and an edge as sharp as the wind. Zygmunt grasped the sword's hilt and pulled, straining. With a mighty heave, he pulled the sword backward and free of the tree. Zygmunt examined the sword, which shone with an otherworldly brilliance. A series of runes glinted along the blade. This sword's name is Nothung. He held the hilt out to Zieglinda. She stepped closer, laying her hand over his. In the freeing light of Nothung's gaze, let our destinies be forever intertwined. Zygmunt's kiss was like nothing Zieglinda had ever felt. There was none of the roughness of Hunding, just a sweet urgency, his skin on hers. She felt warmth blossoming in her belly, spreading deep into her bones. When she pulled him down to the wolfskin below the tree, she knew that she could never go back to the way it was before. With Zygmunt, she was, for the first time, in control. Later, as they lay together, listening to each other breathe, Zieglinda felt so happy she thought she might die. Soon, they'd be gone from this place forever. But not soon enough. Zygmunt and Zieglinda jumped apart as the door slammed open, scrambling to pull on their clothes. 
Hoon Ding stood silhouetted in the doorway, panting with rage. Hoon Ding, please, don't! Seems your outlaw father didn't teach you to keep your hands to yourself. I'll show you what happens when you mess with another man's things! High above the realm of men, in Valhalla, the home of the gods, Wotan tapped his foot in agitation. The fires danced brightly, the fat of the boar on the spit crackling and popping as it turned. Yet another of these never-ending feasts. He sat upright as he spotted the goddess he'd been looking for all night, his daughter, the Valkyrie Brunhilda. Her red hair exploded from underneath her helmet, windswept and wild. Wotan caught her eye and signaled to a door at the side of the hall. They stepped out onto a balcony where they could speak without being overheard. What did you see? It is as you said. I followed the last known whereabouts of the giant who took the ring. It was difficult for he hasn't been a giant in a very long time. Fafner's no longer a giant? Explain. I confirmed what you told me. That after he fled Valhalla a hundred years ago, Fafner ventured into the realm of the humans. He found a cave deep in a forest there and set about making it his kingdom. He amassed an immense quantity of treasure. Gold coins stolen from travelers, precious gems from trading caravans, Silver drawn from the earth itself. He is driven by greed, compelled to grow his hoard ever larger. Over the years, his skin grew hard and scaly, his face long, wings sprouted from his back, and a fire burns in his belly. Fafna the dragon curls around his golden hoard, desperate to keep it safe. And the ring? He wears it on one of his talons, and never takes it off. Uh, but why would he? Tell me, father, what's so special about this ring? There are countless magical trinkets throughout the Nine Realms. Why is this one so important? Ah, it's no trinket. In that small circle of gold is the power to bring the entire universe to heal. I have seen it twist the minds of gods and monsters, drive brothers to bloodshed. It burrows deep into your mind, your heart, and tempts you with its power. I must get it back. To destroy it? Uh, yes, uh, of course. Uh, to return it to the Rhyme Maidens and, and destroy it. Then what are we waiting for? It's not a simple task. I created this mess by breaking a contract with Fafner. I cannot take it from him outright. Whoever retrieves the ring must do it of their own accord without my help. Down there, in the fortress of Midgard, is the answer to our problems. Zygmunt, the young wolf. He is your half-brother, my own son. Though he does not know it, I need you to go to him. Watch from the shadows and report back. Tell me how he's progressing on his quest. But remember, you cannot interfere. 
Brunhilde nodded and leapt from the balcony. Beneath her, the clouds formed into a snow-white horse, its great wings beating the air as she sailed toward Midgard. She let out a war cry and disappeared from sight. Back in Hunding's castle, Sieglinda watched in horror as her husband charged at Siegmund. The injured traveler was unsteady on his feet and slow to move. He barely made it out of the way of Hunding's slashing sword. She knew he couldn't keep it up for long. It seems I have not a fox in my henhouse, but a young wolf! Hunding, please, let her go. I should have recognized you the moment I came in. I've seen that face on posters from here to Regensburg. An outlaw, a thief, just like your worthless father. You'll find stealing a wife isn't so easy as a barrel of corn. You can't truly tell me you care for her, not with how you... Sieglinda gasped as Hunding's sword hit home, slashing a deep red ribbon across Siegmund's chest. He staggered, but kept his sword held high. What business is it of yours how a man runs his castle? You don't care for her, but I do. Leave us in peace. You'll leave in pieces! Again, Hunding raised his sword. Slowly, the air around him began to shimmer and ripple like the surface of a pond. Hunding's movements slowed, the sword coming to a stop just before it came down on Siegmund's shoulder. Siegmund fell backwards, scrambling out of range. Everything seemed to have stopped. The castle was dead silent. Siegmund could no longer hear the rain pinging off the rooftop, nor the fire crackling in the hearth. Sieglinda, too, was frozen mid-scream. Siegmund got to his feet and rushed to her side, shaking her shoulders, running his hands through her hair. She won't wake. Siegmund whipped around to see whose voice had broken the silence. It was a woman in golden armor, her wild red hair coming down to her waist. A Valkyrie? Yes, Siegmund, son of Wolf. I was sent to watch you, but I fear I am needed here for more than that. It is a great honor to meet a Valkyrie. Greater still to meet their leader. I am Brunhilda, shield maiden of Valhalla. Siegmund bowed low. He paused when he noticed the blood splattering the flagstones beneath him. His blood, scarlet and shining. They can't see you, can they? No. You're here for me. Only those destined to die are worthy to look upon a Valkyrie. I don't win this fight, do I? It seems unlikely. Be proud, fierce wolfling. You have fought with honor for a just and noble cause. The hearth of Valhalla will warm your bones. The feasts will satisfy your hunger. An eternity of happiness lies before you. But my happiness is here. Siegmund looked again at Sieglinda. She cannot come with you, Wolfling. 
I don't understand. My father left me the sword. It's supposed to lead me to victory. The one who made this sword is the same who decrees I cannot help you. Our father. Our father? What do you mean? My father is Wolf, yours... The god Votan, is he not? Votan does love his disguises. Years I've spent searching for my father, mourning him, trying to find him to quell this burning feeling in my breast, letting it lead me to some unknown fate. And you're telling me he didn't perish. Not only that, he can't perish. He let me run across the countryside half mad with guilt that I didn't save him. Zygmunt tore the wolfskin from around his neck. He threw Nothung to the ground. Tell Votan he can take his skin and his sword. They're meant for his son, and I'm no longer any blood to him. He can have his Valhalla and his eternity of happiness. I'll go to hell instead. At Zygmunt's words, a dark cloud appeared at the far end of the courtyard. His proclamation had worked almost as well as a spell. The door to Helheim, that swirling underworld vortex of chaos and terror, waited before him. Just promise me one thing. Take Sieglinda away from here. She can't go to Valhalla, fine. Just free her from this place. Zygmunt only made it a few steps towards Hell when Brunhilda spoke. Wait. I cannot let you do this. Botan is wrong. I must interfere. Take up your sword, and know that it won't only be your hand upon its hilt. Wherever you swing, I will guide your blade home. With that, the Valkyrie disappeared. The doorway to Helheim faded into mist. Time began to flow normally once again. Hunding's sword hit the ground right where Zygmunt had been standing. He looked up in a rage. Working some strange magic, are you? Your trickery is no match for my steel. Zygmunt ran to meet Hunding's charge. He raised his sword high, feeling Brunhilda's invisible fingers wrapped tightly around his own. He swung, aiming for Hunding's heart. Even before he made contact, he knew his aim was true. It was a killing blow. He closed his eyes and did not see the bolt of lightning split Hunding's roof and strike Nothung, shattering the sword into a dozen pieces. Zygmunt and Hunding flew backward, landing in heaps at opposite ends of the hall. I told you we must not take sides. Wotan had appeared in the center of the room. His one eye glinted with fury. Brunhilda stood before him. The humans looked around, dazed and shocked. Both gods were visible now. Father Hunding was going to kill him. You've disobeyed me for the last time, Brunhilda. By interfering, you have tainted Zygmunt and everything he does. You have put the ring further out of our reach. It is for all our sakes that I must do this. Wotan walked wearily to Zygmunt's side. 
Ziegmund looked up at him, his eyes barely focusing. Zieglinda rose to her feet, ready to run to her lover's side. Wolf? Father? Wotan looked at Ziegmund for a long moment. Then he conjured his mighty spear out of thin air and plunged it into his son's heart. Coming up, the Valkyrie faces the consequences of her actions. Now, back to the story. Brunhilde strained to see through the lashing rain. Her cloud horse was buffeted by the strong winds, Wotan's attempt to keep her from escaping. But he couldn't stop her. She could see the jagged peaks of the Valkyrie nest just ahead. Zieglinda sat in the saddle before her. The woman wailed, body limp as a ragdoll. If Brunhilde hadn't kept a tight grip on her, Zieglinda would fall off into the maelstrom below. Though from her desperate cries, Brunhilde doubted Zieglinda would mind if she did. With a final push, the horse landed on the mountaintop. Brunhilde leapt from its back and carried Zieglinda to a nearby rock. Sisters, Ortlinda, Grimgerda, Rosvaisa, please, we need your help. Her voice echoed back to her, small and scared. The Valkyries had fled, likely on Wotan's orders. She was alone. <laughs> Zygmunt! <laughs> Except for Zieglinda, the woman curled into a ball on the rock, tears streaming down her cheeks. She was hunched protectively over something in her hands. Blood dripped from her fists. The sword was supposed to protect you, my love. She uncurled her fingers, revealing the broken shards of Nothung in her hands. Zieglinda, please. I cannot keep you safe any longer. You must flee. I do not understand. What has happened to my Zygmunt? Why did you take me from him? You should have left me there to perish. Zieglinda, you must not talk like that. Beyond this peak, there is a forest. You can hide there from Wotan's wrath. He will kill anyone he finds with me. Let Wotan come. At least then I will be with Zygmunt again. If you will not flee for your sake, then do it for his. I don't understand. Your love is destined to live on. There will be a son. A vision appeared before Zieglinda's eyes. It was one of the images she'd forgotten from her dream, a tiny hand in hers. She looked up into her own eyes, set in the face of a little boy with golden curls. As she watched, he grew tall and broad until he was a strapping youth, wielding what she now recognized as Nothung reforged. Something else was emerging from the depths of Zieglinda's dream. Something huge and twisted, with soot-blackened scales and smoldering breath, sitting atop a pile of gold and a ring. 
I'll hold Voltanov. Run! Zieglinda rose to her feet, shaking off the vision and shoving the sword fragments into a pouch at her belt. She took one last long look at Brunhilda. Then she turned and ran. She could see the clouds massing above her. As a great lightning bolt hit the ground behind her, she shrieked, diving to take cover in the boulders of the Valkyrie nest. She could not risk being out in the open like this. From her hiding spot, she could see Brunhilde standing to face the storm. When the smoke cleared, Wotan, wild with fury, stood before the Valkyrie. Daughter. Father. I could have taken this betrayal from your siblings, but from you, Brunhilde. I am sorry, Father, but I had to do what was right. You were my most trusted, the right hand with which I wielded my spear. And then my own body, my own flesh and blood revolts against me. How could I not when you make loyalty impossible? You tell me to watch Siegmund, knowing I will help him. Then you punish me when I do it. I know you, father, better than you know yourself. And in your heart of hearts, you wanted Siegmund to win. I told you we cannot have undue influence. The hero I need must act of his own free will. Undue influence. You gave him a sword. Siegmund was never free. Not from the first day he opened his eyes. You sired him out of greed. His only purpose, to fetch you your damned ring, feed your lust for power. Did you ever actually give a thought to what he wanted? Behind the boulder, Sieglinda held her hand to her mouth, trying to stifle her gasp of shock. Siegmund was the son of Wotan. It seemed she and her love were nothing more than pawns in a god's game. For all your talk of free will, you cannot stand when the things you create exercise theirs. Oh, dear Brumhilda, with the wisdom of your mother and the temper of your father, you know I'm right. I know it. There is still a chance for your plan, Father. Siegmund and Sieglinda's union will bear a child. A hero. Free of your interference. Sieglinda's hand went to her belly, holding it protectively. The gods kept speaking. That is joyous news. Yet you don't look pleased. Treason, even for the right reasons is still treason. You're really going to punish me, aren't you? I must, even if it breaks my heart. Brunhilda, first of the Valkyrie, shield maiden of Valhalla, from this day on, you are no longer my daughter. Your nest, this rock, will become your prison. So be it. Even with fear and adrenaline running through her veins, Sieglinda couldn't help the tears from falling as she watched these gods, as broken and bruised as humans. Wotan stepped forward and embraced his daughter. Brunhilde leaned her head on his shoulder, a final, tender gesture to the father she'd held so high. Sleep, Brunhilde. 
sleep and dream of glory's past. Wotan kissed Brunhilde softly on the forehead, and she fell into a deep, heavy slumber. He laid her on a nearby rock. Sleep, my hand and my heart. And perhaps one day we will meet again. Zieglinda, noticing the break in Wotan's storm, emerged from her hiding place and scurried down the mountain path. She kept a hand to her stomach, protecting it. She didn't care what plans they had for Siegmund, for her, for their child. She would never let them find her. Her child would decide his own fate, even if she had to die to make it so. As she escaped into the forest, a bright, brilliant blaze erupted on the mountainside at the place once home to the Valkyries. A plume of dark smoke curled lazily through the raindrops, disappearing into the stormy sky. When Zieglinda could no longer see the smoke on the horizon, she stopped running. There, she discovered a small cave where the trees met a stony hill along abandoned wolf's den. The animal musk comforted her as she huddled inside, listening for any sign of an angry god following her. Her fear was not for herself. She was beyond that now. She finally knew what her dream had meant. The boy she would bear, his scaly foe, the dark aura the ring cast over them all, and she saw what was missing from the visions, herself. It seems I will not live to see you wield your father's sword, little one. Not to worry. Your family will cheer your victory from the feasting hall of Valhalla. This, I promise you, my little Siegfried. As Sieglinde declared her son's future, far below, at the base of the world tree, Erda dreamed her daughters. Take care, Brunhilde. Only one is destined to find you. One freer than the gods. But pay heed, my daughter. Dark forces have been set in motion, like a pebble tumbling down a cliff. It will not be long before the avalanche is too great to halt. Your hero will face the dragon Fafner. This much is clear, but I cannot see what he will do. If he will cast off the yoke of the ring's influence or succumb to its desires. If the world will live on in joy or perish in flames, only Siegfried can be the one to choose. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Every Wednesday, we dive into the dark origins of another classic fable. We'll be back next time with another epic story. 
Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Mythology was written by Molly Quinlan, edited by Robert Teamstra and Andrew Kelleher, fact-checked by Haley Milliken, researched by Adriana Gomez, and produced by Travis Clark. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Jerry Courtney Austin, Joe Hernandez, Cameron Nikod, and Ellie Schiff. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 